Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Welcome to episode 32 of Talking Shop. This is the podcast where we talk about all kinds of things to do with Photoshop. In this episode, my guest is Corey Barker, who's a Photoshop Hall of Fame instructor and expert in all sorts of areas like 3D and new technology. Hello again, if you are a repeat listener, if you're a first time listener, my name's Dave Cross. I have been teaching Photoshop since it came out in 1990 and more recently run my own training site called learningphotoshop.cc. And I put together this podcast because I love to talk about Photoshop, often by myself, sometimes like today with a guest, in this case, Corey Barker. Now, I've known Corey for a long time, and one of his greatest skills in Photoshop and teaching Photoshop is to look at new technology. Like when 3D first came out in Photoshop, he was one of the first people to really embrace it and experiment with it and got to the point where Adobe would actually call him with questions about 3D. So I thought, who better to sit down and talk about new technology coming to the world of Photoshop and related to Photoshop than Corey? So here's my chat with Mr. Corey Barker. So here with my good friend, Corey Barker, and we both just got back from Adobe Max, the most amazing conference for people in the world of Adobe. And Corey, I know you were uh, doing something pretty interesting, teaching a brand new application that probably most people haven't heard too much about. Yeah, it was actually uh, briefly introduced last year's Adobe Max, um, and it's a pro Project Arrow, which is Adobe Arrow now, because it's officially released and it's part of the Creative Cloud. I didn't get paid to say that just now. Um, <laughs> but no, I um, I had the unique opportunity of demonstrating. I uh, had two sessions at Max on how to use Photoshop with Arrow. And it's actually very, it's a lot of fun, for one. But it was really easy um, with what you can implement. You know, you don't even know, didn't know anything about 3D, but you can create these augmented reality scenes in a matter of minutes, have it from Photoshop to your tablet and in an augmented reality scene in just a few in just a few minutes. It's really amazing how far they've come with it. So what's an example of the kind of thing, like what did you do in the course? Did you showing how to build something? One, one of the things I did, I you know, as I've always told people, and you know this, of course, I, when I get new software, a new feature, I, I just go in and play with it and try different things and just see what it can really do. Um, so one of the things is um, you can actually take layers. You don't even have to make 3D in Photoshop. You can just have a multi-layered document, save it as a PSD into your Creative Cloud and bring it right in. And it just you, when you drop it into to your scene, you can literally move it around and walk through the layers with your tablet. And you can actually determine the spacing between the layers actually in the Arrow app. So there's no 3D uh, actually required. There is if you want to get like extruded elements, and that's that's going into Adobe Dimension, which is another topic. Uh, but in this case, it's just mainly uh, how Photoshop uh, works with it. And it's just a really amazing uh, way to you know have some fun is one thing, one way I put it. Uh, I did a couple of things from movies. Uh, if you ever saw the movie Jumanji, and you know when they had their strengths and weaknesses kind of pop up mm -hmm. in the scene, you can actually create something like that and make a video of, of somebody mm. you know with a have a little joking uh, element like that. But it's um, like many people at at Max would ask, you know, what's what's the practical use for this? And like many new softwares, as you know, uh, it's got to find its place. You know, it's you know how are users mm -hmm. going to um, 
to be able to use this. And that's something that a lot of people are going to have to discover on their own. I'm still experimenting with it myself, even though I actually taught a session. I would hardly say I'm an expert at it uh, because I'm still learning some stuff myself. Sure. So it's really a matter of uh, of time before people really find a, a, some more interesting uses for it. Probably some stuff I haven't even thought of yet. Now, in order to use it, it's like a, an app you can download for your mobile device. Is that typically the way, like people like the way they view things made with it? Yes. And unfortunately, like many new things, it's only available on iOS. Uh, so it's available on iPhone and, of course, your iPad, which is what I used it on. I prefer the iPad uh, because of the bigger screen. You can actually uh, maneuver. And I, I, I would almost suggest use an iPad to create your scene, but then you can use your phone to view it and, and do other stuff like that. Uh, that's certainly one way. It makes it easier. But it works both on the phone and iPad. Android, I'm told, is coming. It'll be a little bit later down the road there. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's an app that goes directly to your app, to your device, uh, whether it be your phone or your tablet, and then you of course use your Photoshop like normal. Then you would simply save it, and the way they connect is through your Creative Cloud folder. So you have a folder on your Creative Cloud settings, and it accesses them uh, both in both the directions. So cool. It's not, I mean, I, I took a quick look at it, and anything to do with that, that whole augmented reality thing, I'm still getting my head around. <laughs> and 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 you know me well. I'm always the guy going, but what would you actually do with this? You know, it's right. like, and yeah. I, was, I mean, it was cool to see like someone showing me like, look, there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex on my desk and mm -hmm. he's roaring. I'm like, okay, that is kind of cool. But yeah. I mean, I guess some people will start to make maybe their show their product so you can see their product in the environment or something like that. I think there's a lot of comedic value to it, but that, you know. So how often does comedy make money? Well, unless you're in the business. But <laughs> right. what, but here's one thing I thought of. It actually make would be a kind of a cool use for it is let's say you're a real estate agent. You can do a virtual walkthrough of your property and have certain elements, uh, maybe even put virtual furniture in the house hmm. uh, and show what it look, what house will look like furnished. You create these videos of walkthroughs of a home and so it doesn't look empty. Uh, you can actually have elements pop up that will have information about the kitchen or the bathroom or the square footage or something like that. So there's, you know, there's one aspect of it that certainly uh, would take some time. You'd have to do the walkthrough and you know, all, that, all, that, all that sort of thing. But it's, things like that, uh, I think a lot of product showcasing uh, car dealerships could probably find it useful to, you know, have information about certain vehicles on the lot. You know, you can get pretty creative with it. Uh, uh, it's just a matter of, the, you know, finding a need for it. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head where Adobe has in the past had kind of a history of introducing something where the product, everyone was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. Now I have to kind of figure out what to do with it. Even when 3D first came into Photoshop, it was kind of like, okay, this is this is interesting, but how do I implement it? And I think that's that's always one of the challenges for any kind of new technology. And, and it's, you know, once you get past that, that wow factor, that cool factor of, oh, what's the, it, we are, it's a shiny object, you know, we, we like it because it's new and it does these cool things. But then when all that wears off, you're like, <laughs> now what? Right, what, do I, what, do I, what do I do with it now? Now what? You know, is, is, right. is it, it going to help me make money? All right, then I'm having my fun. Get it out of here. You know, and you know as well as I do, Adobe's had many applications that have come and gone mm -hmm. under those, say, even features within other programs that have come and gone for that reason. I know, I know we can both name a few that we wish were still there. but <laughs> <laughs> Right, exactly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited with it. And the fact that it's integrated well with, with Dimension and Photoshop, you know, and, and that's another thing, me, me coming from, you know, being a big 3D advocate, especially with Photoshop, I'm really starting to push forward with Dimension and, of course, Arrow. And I like the initiative that Adobe's taking with it is that they're not just willy-nilly making a 3D application and saying, here you go. They want to make it accessible. You know, as well as I do, a complex 3D application like Cinema 4D is 
gives you great results, but the learning curve is it's way steep. So, so making it accessible to the average designer is certainly a, a big plus, and I'm uh, I'm thrilled to be bringing that kind of a uh, that kind of teaching out there for it. Sure, and I think the other thing that's that's been interesting for me to watch is I remember when Creative Cloud was first announced, everyone looked at it strictly as this is the way we get our software now. Mm-hmm. But even at the beginning, Adobe was saying things like, eventually you'll be able to move files back and forth very easily. And we're all kind of like, yeah, whatever. But now you're seeing it like with the different apps where whether it's Fresco or Photoshop on the iPad or whatever, there's that mm-hmm. like even in the Photoshop 2020, now when you go to save a file, it asks you, do you want to save it on your desktop or cloud? So that if you know you're going between devices, I mean, think about what we used to have to go through when you wanted to move a file around. It was like, well, going to Dropbox or something and now it's just you just save your file in the right place and it's instantly in your other device. Yeah, you can pretty much access it from anywhere with anything, really. I mean, remember the frustrations we have just just handing off between applications within the same machine. Right, you know, <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, that was always a challenge and, you know, certainly hurdles with that. Now we're at a place where we're going from device to device. And, mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're really making that handoff much smoother. Young people today just don't know the struggle. <laughs> One of my favorite things. Well, back in my day, yeah, back in my day we, yeah. we used to have to use SideQuest cartridges. Oh, and people man. are like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> now, speaking of Photoshop for the iPad, what what's your thoughts on that first uh, version that came out? I got to be honest, I haven't played with it yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. But I'm... I won't say who I've talked to at Adobe. From what I'm gathering about Photoshop for the iPad, it's, I'm intrigued. I love that it's being made mobile. But when you're you know, an aggressive designer, uh, like the heavy 3D stuff and things, the kind of things I do, it's not going to benefit me much. I like the idea of being able to create or pre-visualize an idea and then hand that off to my desktop in Photoshop. So I see it as a great uh, supplement. I guess is one way to put it to my desktop Photoshop. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of uh, a lot of people that are just strictly on a mobile. I mean, a lot of people only have a tablet these days. You know, instead of and a lot very a lot of people are fewer people are getting full blown computers and doing a lot of their stuff on a mobile device. So I think you're going to see it get get some momentum. I'm more intrigued by the Photoshop camera. I found that to be a very interesting demo, and I haven't had a chance to play with that yet because I have an Android phone. So for people that haven't seen that, give, give us a quick description of the. Photoshop camera, the premise of it is, and a little bit about how it works. So it is, a, it's a mobile app, of course, uh, and it's a camera app, basically, and it's got Photoshop features built into it, but not in the way you would think traditionally about Photoshop. The way it was demoed at Max was, so they brought this background of a city up on the screen, and the user was actually going in into her photos and actually pulling up an image of a subject. And then the, the app would actually re- remove the background using a new Sensei technology, uh, that smart technology to, to remove the background. And then you would actually take the photo and essentially you're compositing with the camera live. You've got, the, you got your foreground subject extracted and you've got, you can see the background of whatever the camera sees and you can actually uh, compose the shot right there. And it'll actually apply filters as well live. So you see all this happening right there on your phone as you're doing it. So get, basically think of it's live Photoshop on your phone. So you can pretty much create a combine. When you you once you compose it, take the shot, and you can immediately share it. You know, it's this now culture where we gotta. I don't have time to edit this. I want to do it now. So uh, so for people that are on the go, traveling, it's a, it's great for capturing and adding a little uh, spice to your photo and then sharing it. That does sound pretty interesting. Now now back to the 
iPad version of Photoshop for a second. I've talked about this before on the podcast where uh, when when there was discussions of Photoshop for the iPad and I was kind of like, I don't quite get it. I remember Matt Kleskowski was, we were having this discussion. He kind of looked at me and said, well, Dave, I got to say, you're not the demographic they're aiming at. And I was like, fair enough, because when I travel, I have my laptop and an iPad. So given the choice, which one are going to use uh, Photoshop for the iPad that's only just beginning and doesn't have that many features or full-blown Photoshop on my laptop? I mean, it's it's a no-brainer, but I, I get the fact that more and more people are starting to say, well, with the power of the different apps we're getting, maybe I don't need a laptop. I can just have my desktop computer and then a pretty powerful iPad to do mm. some of these other things. But I guess my, for me, the biggest thing was, uh, so I did some beta testing with the Photoshop for the iPad. And first of all, I found it hard. I guess I went in because they'd originally said it's real Photoshop on the iPad without really thinking about it. The first time I opened it, I kind of expected it to look like Photoshop. But of course, at, no apps really look like their desktop equivalent very much. No. So mm-hmm. there was that. And then there, you know, I went, oh, let me go and apply a filter. And it was like, well, you have one choice. <laughs> you can do a Gaussian blur and that's it. And it was no no smart filters, no smart objects. So for me, that was kind of the, the reason why right away I was like, well, I guess I'll wait on that. I mean, yeah, it, it's a great greatly stripped down version of Photoshop. And I'm sure the functionality under the hood is very similar to what you're doing. Uh, well, one one thing that they, they did say, which made me feel better, was that the code base is the same. Yeah. So that means that in this first version, they really focused on compositing. So to have layers and you know things for compositing, mm-hmm. but that it's not going to be that difficult for them to start adding features in because it's not like they're having to write it from scratch. They're just saying, hey, let's move this next thing over. So hopefully there'll be lots of updates uh, over time because it's easier for them to do it than as if they were having to rebuild it from scratch. I mean, I mean, one way, weirdly, I look at it is that I, I've tried Cintiqs numerous times, you know, the Wacom Cintiq and allows you to draw right directly on the screen. I, I tried to like it. I just I'm I, I like a tablet and looking at my monitor. So to me, the you know Photoshop on the iPad is just a smaller Cintiq mm-hmm. with a different interface and everything like that. So and I just if I never if I didn't like it then, I'm not going to like it now, especially if it's smaller. Right. Um, and that's just my own personal thing about it. But you but you're right. I mean, you and I were we're hardly the demographic for this. I mean, this is definitely there's a new generation of designers coming in and they're mobile based. So and they're and and I, and I appreciate that Adobe is catering to that. Mm-hmm. If they want to stay relevant. They they better. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I think I'm going to stick with what what I know works for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, the other part I would say for anyone that's that's wanting to explore Photoshop for the iPad that if you're someone who doesn't like change, then you're not going to like yeah. this because I know for me personally, when and I'm sure you're the same. When I'm working, I have fingers poised above like the Option key and the oh, yeah. Shift key, and of course, those don't exist. Yeah. So now there's like a little touch thingy where if you want to do like the equivalent of option or alt, you click and move your finger towards the outside of the circle. And it's like the first couple of times I did that, I was like, say what? <laughs> Why can't I just hold down a key? And I guess in theory, you could add a wireless keyboard to your iPad. But then at that point, again, you're kind of moving towards yeah. just you're, use you're a laptop. You're going back you know? to where you came from anyway. Yeah. But I get it. I mean, I think it's interesting and to, to see that, I mean, if you, I'm sure you remember the, the one of the very, what was the very first 
there was a Photoshop for the iPad when it first came out that was like a was it a Photoshop, like Photoshop or something? Yeah, saw or sketch or I don't know, but yeah. it just had like been, you could yeah. make you could make layers, but not beyond that. It was like so limiting that everyone kind of looked and went, and why why would I do this? And, and I'm sure that's why they went this direction. I mean, I'm sure they released all those apps, and every, you know everybody kept saying the same thing. Well, it's not Photoshop. It's not Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And Adobe finally says, well, we all right. Here's Photoshop. And it was just like then then we're like those of us that were excited about it years ago were like, now nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, good chance, but I tell you Too what, late. one app I'm really intrigued by uh, that I saw at at Max on the iPad is uh, Fresco. Mm. I see that as um, as fun. I don't necessarily see it as a, a massive money maker tool unless you're a professional painter and you can get away with that. But I see it as a fun 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 thing they play play around with. I'd have to buy the pencil because I don't have a stylus for my iPad yet. But I'm intrigued the results the, the the physics of the interaction with the watercolors and everything like that is very impressive. So uh, and and mm-hmm. I'm really incur- and, uh, curious to play with that. Well, one thing that I I felt when I tried it briefly because I'm certainly not by any means a painter and in part mm-hmm. because I mean except for obviously when I was a young one and and used to play around with paints, but more recently I know nothing about even the theory of painting and watercolor and how they do, you know, whatever it's called, underpainting and then paint over the top. But even just playing for a little bit, it kind of gave me a sense as to at least a better understanding of how the process of painting works. And so even if I'm Mm. now doing something in Photoshop, I might look at something and go, I might do a better job of shading that to make it look a little more realistic because at least that other the fresco app is giving me a a sense of how it works and i'm i'm sure like many people you see some of the things that fresco can do with the way the the watercolor kind of bleeds into each other i mean it is pretty fascinating because it it really does look like you're working with actual paint you know that's still wet well i was blown away when he 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 painted the one stroke and you see it just the the liquid, the you know, kind of seeping into the other color in real time, like it would in real life. I mean, that, that's just amazing the detail in it. I just hope it doesn't kill the actual medium itself, right? You know, this new technology. I hope you know. I hope thirty years from now we're not thinking. You remember when they used to do watercolors for real? You know, I bet. now we'll walk into a gallery and just see iPads up on yeah. the wall with the. It's going to be an old digital. So we're going to be clinging to traditional methods on digital devices. That's a bit ironic, don't you think? So, but I think one thing it does do is reinforce the fact that there are some pretty darn smart people at Adobe. Oh, I mean, some of the stuff they're, they're coming up with. And I think it also alleviates fears because I remember one of the comments, I'm sure you remember this too, when Creative Cloud was first announced as this is the only way you can get your software, that people, a lot of people are like, well, what's why would Adobe want to innovate now? Because they've got our monthly subscription. So what's going to be the motivation for them to continue to innovate? Well, so many years later, I think it that just this just shows that that's just in their DNA is just to make cool stuff. You know, that they, they have people that that's all they do is sit there and figure this stuff out. And it's easy to forget in the beginning, we were so used to the 18 to 24 month cycle of new software that uh, mm-hmm. now with the Creative Cloud, they can roll out new features more frequently. Sure. And we can get them a lot sooner. Than going. I mean, I know a lot of people miss buying the box software. I enjoyed that too. I had fun going to the store and buying it and going home and loading. <laughs> it was the highlight of my evening when you load up your new version. Of, right but now, you know, you, every couple of weeks you see like you feel like you see an update for Photoshop, and uh, 
I know that would be annoying at first, but you know, I mean, just knowing that there's new features rolling out you know, much more frequently is 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 very exciting. Yeah, it sure is. And I, I it's funny you should say that about the the box because I was re- recalling with someone just the other day about how I used to get the new the box like when you'd buy. The, the software and one of the things that I would always do is take out the manual and keep it in its shrink wrap because it was like a badge of honor to try and figure it out yourself without actually cracking the manual open no, yeah, and they always yeah. had some little smaller book that was like getting started or something like yeah. that but the ba- the main one when they still had manuals that came with the software I'd I'd always proudly gesture say look all my manuals are still in their shrink wrap because I don't need them <laughs> and those were always engineering manuals they were never <laughs> art or design you know right. here's a here's a cool thing you can do it now it was more like the gaussian blur is designed for, it's like oh. yeah. yeah yeah i remember talking to someone uh, about how if, when i first Photoshop blend modes came along and I was like, I want to learn what these do. And I thought, well, if I ever need to have trouble falling asleep, I'll just get to that part of the manual that describes the math behind Photoshop blend modes. Because <laughs> it's like, make, I'm sure it makes perfect sense to the scientists in the crowd, but the rest of us are like, say what yeah. now? It's like you explained to me how it works, but you didn't tell me, you still haven't told me what it does. <laughs> what, what, or what to do with it. And that's, and I think, I think that's interesting point when i back when i was still learning and just you know i'd get frustrated reading books like that and everything like yeah let's say do this or this and, and i would just go in there and start playing mm-hmm. so, you know just go in there and start pushing filters around pushing sliders around to see what they do and that's why i still i still talk tell people that today i mean just go in there and play around with it mm-hmm. you know manual is only going to steer you in one direction you know go in there and really see what it can do so but you might crash the you might crash the software so what you know, restart it. Keep going. You know, so. yeah. Now that's I, I agree completely because I think often people are. I mean, obviously, if you have a deadline that you've got to meet, that's a little different. But if you're just right. trying something. There's so many ways in Photoshop, especially when you use a non-destructive workflow, that you can go down a path and experiment because at worst, you may have to go back a little bit and say, okay, that didn't work, but it's not like you're going to break anything or you're going to... I have some of my members every so often that will send in a question. They're like, I don't know what I did, but this doesn't work anymore. And I'm like, you know what? The good part is I don't have a problem with that because it means you're being more curious and you're clicking buttons and you're you're yeah. trying things which is which is great well, I, the way i always tell people is like go it like expect to fail it's like don't even i mean don't even expect you're gonna find that eureka moment it may happen but just expect that you're gonna be like oh, i'm gonna see what i can do with here you know and it may turn out to be something you know so, i mean a lot of the filter a lot of the filter discoveries i made over the years you know certainly came that way i try mixing a few things and you just be like oh that's oh you know but that, but I, I share the pain of that person you just mentioned because uh, there's many techniques still to this day that I, I have no idea how I did them. <laughs> I'll just be playing around doing an effect, and then I'll just be like, all right, I go back and figure out how I did that, and I still don't know. <laughs> one of those things that's that's got to be the worst. <laughs> it just happened. Just I love like, the way that looks, but I have no idea how it happened. <laughs> many times. It's just frustrating as hell. And, you know, and it's something you love, too. You always be that effect. You're like, man, that's beautiful. Yeah. Don't know how I did it. <laughs> All right, we're going to continue this chat with Mr. Corey Barker in a moment. But first, it's time for the tip of the week.
this tip is to make sure you're taking full advantage of workspaces in Photoshop. If you find yourself moving things around, repositioning panels and so on, what you can do is once you have the panels in a position you like, you can make a workspace. Now it's worth noting that workspaces can also include custom keyboard shortcuts. So if you've made some custom shortcuts, that can be part of your workspace. So this way, instead of moving panels around for different configurations, depending on what you're doing, you could save a couple of different workspaces. And then you just have to go to the window menu to choose your workspace, which by the way, is also the place where you save a workspace. And that can just save you time. Also works great, by the way, if you have more than one person using the same computer, this way you can each save your own workspace. You don't have to reconfigure Photoshop every time you switch users. So be sure to take a look at workspaces that can be a great time saver. Members of learningphotoshop.cc have unlimited anytime access to Photoshop tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, as well as live Q&A sessions twice a month. Take your knowledge of Photoshop to the next level at learningphotoshop.cc. All right, we're back here with Corey. Now, Corey is particularly known for his work in the 3D world, including having written books on that topic. And we used to work together, and there were many times where, Corey, you would come in in the morning and said, I was watching TV last night, and I saw this thing, and it looked cool, so I did this. And you'd show me this, like, I don't know, hockey skate that had been made from scratch or something. And I was just like, my head just exploded trying to even understand how that works. So what what are you doing these days in the world of of 3D? Well, I've actually... Like many things, I have evolved. I'm I'm doing a lot more with video and motion graphics now, especially. I mean, still playing with 3D, um, but really got to the point where I was sicking, um, sick of looking at everything just sitting there. <laughs> I'd do something cool, design, and a lot of the stuff that would inspire me to experiment with 3D came from motion graphics stuff already. Uh, just a lot of things I've seen on TV or movie trailers or something like that. So it just it pushed me to take it to that next level. Uh, and I've spent the past five years uh, really digging into After Effects, really wanting to get uh, the nuts and bolts of it, and really feel like I've got gotten pretty good at it. I got a ways to go, obviously. But uh, like I tell people now is I feel now with that direction, like I did when I first started using Photoshop, my creativity has kind of been reinvigorated. Uh, and I w- that's something I would encourage people. If you feel like you're, you know, gotten as far as you're gone, or you feel stagnant in a certain part of your creativity, go venture into something else, uh, a different software package or something like that you never really messed with before. It could open up a new, a new direction of, of what you've taken, what you've learned already. And then uh, taking it to the next level. Because I certainly wouldn't have got, been able to pick up what I know about video motion graphics without uh, my prior knowledge of Photoshop and such like that. So, so yeah, one thing really I'm, – I'm always looking for the next big challenge, you know. I'm one of those guys where, like, I it annoys me when I don't know how to do something. When I figure it out, I'm like, okay, what's next? And I guess in the grand scheme of things, I feel that way about software. Once I've gotten somewhere, I got to a point with Photoshop, I'm like, okay, what's next? So, and that's the direction I'm in. And I'm really liking it so far. Now, for someone that hasn't really explored the world of 3D and Photoshop, what would you say would be kind of a a good little shall we say, dipping your toes into the world of 3D, something you could do to maybe, I don't know, combine with your photography or some some kind of project that could get someone a bit of a a chance to experiment a bit with with the world of 3D and Photoshop? Uh, So if we're talking about photographers, and now one of the things I have been playing around with um, is lighting. There's some 3D lighting effects you can do on 2D layers 
in Photoshop to create some rather interesting light effects. I've done it with text and actual photographs. Actually, a few on my site, it's mastereffectstraining.com. You can, you can check it out. But that's where I would, if nobody's missed, if, if you've never messed with 3D at all on Photoshop, I'd start there. One of the things I will say at this point in time, if you're getting serious about, say, I need to start really getting into 3D with my Adobe workflow, I would definitely say start learning Photoshop 3D. That's going to be critical. But also Dimension. Dimension is going to be a huge player. Uh, I, I, I'm wagering within a year you're going to see that really start to get some legs uh, as a real real viable design tool. Uh, it complements well with Photoshop, uh, but they're only going to add more features as it goes. So just, just to... For people who haven't aren't familiar, where what is Dimension like? What's its main purpose, or what do people use it for? So I would describe Dimension as a 3D assembling room. Think of it as where you have assets that, that you bring in from your Creative Cloud folders or from Photoshop or even other 3D applications. But what it allows you to do is bring everything into a scene, and it's very, very fast. You can actually build these elements really quickly. Um, but the biggest advantage of Dimension, it is a standalone application. It is part of the Creative Cloud. But the biggest advantage of it is it got an insanely great render engine built into it. Far better than what's in Photoshop. So you can get some really realistic detail. In fact, I've recently done some freelance jobs where I did these bottle products and they actually sent me these test photos they did and using the test photos I actually recreated their product in Photoshop and then brought it into Dimension and texturized it it looks more realistic than the photo did <laughs> nice. uh, in the end so I came out with a very very convincing product and I see that as a direction that Photoshop uh, or that Dimension can go is that it can basically be your digital photo studio where you combine elements to get realistic lighting. You can actually get your own custom lighting set up in there. But uh, it's going to be, because of the power of the render engine, it's going to be a very, very uh, powerful tool, not just for conceive, you know, for conceptual art, uh, but also for finished, uh, fully finished pieces. So if I understand correctly, one of the, the benefits would be like, let's use that example where someone had a product, like a, a bottle, a drink, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and that they did the whole photo shoot and then someone looks at it and says... You know, it would probably look better if this was rotated a little more. Well, in a traditional mm-hmm. photo shoot, that, of course, would mean start all over again. But in Dimensions, it's just a matter of going in and saying, okay, would you like it this way or that way? Yeah, I mean, once you've built the scene and, and create, create you, you'll have absolute control over everything. The lighting, the color of the bottle, the label art. You can go in there and swap out label arts all day without having to go into a photo studio and shoot it. And I know that's probably a little discouraging to the photographer, the product photographer. Um, but... They, they, it can also complement that work. I mean, the shots I got were actually um, dressed sets, and they had the bottle in there. All I did was go in and swap the bottle out with my 3D rendered version, uh, and hmm. it completely uh, blended into the scene perfectly. So uh, it's it's going to be able to do things that Photoshop 3D hasn't been able to do. But uh, between the two of those, you're going to see a, a real a real push forward uh, with 3D design. So if you're our designer uh, just getting into Photoshop or if you've been at it for a while and you've only mildly thought about 3D, now's the time to uh, to really get in on that and uh, get ahead of the curve uh, for other, from other designers. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Cool. So in a lot of these interviews that I've done, especially with people who've been longtime industry people like yourself, I like to ask this question. So this is coming out of completely left or right field, depending on which way you like to play baseball. Imagine for a moment that the world 
changed and suddenly you got a call and said, Corey, we would like you to become the executive, chief executive officer of Adobe. Mm-hmm. So you're now in charge. So you can do anything you want in the world of Adobe. What would be your first couple of moves when it comes to the world of like Photoshop and related products? What would I do? I don't know. I, I would probably, I'd probably do a little bit more with the training part. I don't, you know, I feel like they roll out a fantastic product. I have very little criticism for that. But as far as the training of it, uh, I feel like there's you, you, as much access as people have. I don't feel like there's enough of it uh, for people to learn. I would probably put a, a little bit more in the education initiative of, of, of the product. I know, and I know they do that. I probably, I'd probably put a lot more focus on it. They're, they're, they're heavy in education and stuff like that. I know. When I was, in fact, you know, we know Adobe products are in elementary school these days. You know, we were lucky if we had one Commodore 64 when I was in, in school. So the access the kids have today is already uh, amazing. But it's also amazing how little, how, how few people there are that don't even have access to the Internet, much less the Adobe technology out there. So I'd like to see an initiative to, to get more uh, more outreach for that sort of thing. So Cool. That makes sense. Fair enough. So for people that want to find out more about the kind of stuff you do and your training, tell me again or share again the name of your site. So my site is MasterFX. That's a letters, fxtraining.com. Uh, and it's uh, I've got better than 100 different uh, individual projects on there, everything ranging from simple 2D compositing to full-blown 3D, 3D compositing. I've got Photoshop as well as Dimension uh, stuff on the site. And uh, I'm also on social media, Corey PS 3 d I know that's very creative. <laughs> but that's my handle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So I'm usually on those, uh, any one of those at any given time. So I don't, I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be for obvious you know, cultural reasons. So. <laughs> I won't get into those specifics, but uh, Twitter is just a, a big shouting match right now, and I'm just mm-hmm. not really interested in playing in that. So I'm more <laughs> more on Instagram and Facebook anyway. Sure. So. But, uh, but that's where I pretty much can be found. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to chat about some of the cool stuff that's happening in the world of Adobe and Photoshop. Appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem. So I'd like to thank Corey again for taking the time to chat. If you are interested, it's well worth taking a look at his work. He really does some pretty amazing stuff. It's pretty remarkable to see the kind of stuff he does. And and I think he's got a really good handle on what's coming down the road with some of this new technology like Dimension and some of the other things that Adobe is working on. Thanks for taking the time to listen. As always, I appreciate you as a listener. And if you do take a moment to leave a review, share the podcast with your friends, I very, very much appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Dave Cross. See you next time. Please subscribe and tell your Photoshop using friends. Find us at TalkingShop.show. This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.